let's please uh, open real, real briefly in prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we humbly give you thanks for all your many blessings. We lift up Rob and Amy to you and her recovery, and we thank you for the prayers answered, her transplant team, and the successful transplant on Friday. Dear Lord, bless everyone here in this room. Let them know that their cares are not too heavy for you to carry, that we need to rely on you more and on ourselves less. Please bless this chapter and our knowledge of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I got to pick all of the cool chapters, the, the chapters that have the stories that everybody already thinks they know. And then the downside is I have to find the little morsels that you don't know. Um, we're going to read today uh, once through, but I want to... Uh, present these five ideas to you because this is something that I found uh, in, my, in my reading. Uh, it talks about the purpose of the book of Daniel. Why did he write it? Why did he write it? And I thought that was a good sidelight from this because it's, it's a little bit more of an overarching question. And it gave, it gave five answers. And so when we read this, look for these five answers in what, you're re what we read. Separation from impurity. Courage against compromise. The effectiveness of prayer. Dedication to God and complete reliance on God. Those are the four themes of it, of the book of Daniel. Um, I won't tell you what the bottom line of all of that is until the very end of the class, but I thought those were helpful to me because he is writing to the Jews. They are in bondage. They are in a foreign country. They are regularly persecuted. They are looked down upon. They are, and because of all of those reasons, they needed an encourager. And Daniel was that, that encourager. Um, I'm going to ask a couple of you to read. And because we're going to zip through the whole chapter, there's 30 verses. And let me start. And uh, Daniel 3, chapter 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of what? No. Of what? What was the image of? It was himself. It never says it was a, a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. In the whole chapter, it never tells you what the statue is, but everybody kind of knows, hey, it was, a, it was a, a statue of him. And it was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, perfects, 
governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers, officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. Still no word what, who, what the image is. So, the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At that time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Let's stop right there for a second. If you have your study page, it talks of num the lesson number one, question one, talks about the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, a 90-foot-tall, 9-foot-wide statue of gold, of something, sure tells you that he had no problem with pride. He had that pretty well licked, and nobody was going to tell him differently. But if you're a prideful person, how do you feel when people don't listen to you? You get angry. You get angry. And so the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were accused of not paying attention to you. And neither do they serve your gods, not their god, your gods, lower G, or worship the image of gold that you set up. So that was about as bad a charge as they could level at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're ignoring you. They didn't do what you said. I'm going to need another reader, so I need a hand to pop up in a second for the microphone. And so we'll, get, we'll come back to these in a second. Bill, will you start with uh, verse number 13? Uh, let's go to 23. 
The mic's not on. Boo. Is it working now? Yes, it is. Ah. So please start again. No microphone, still. Keep, keep reading, Bill. We're going to have to move forward one way or the other. and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, I will clip this on your collar. <laughs> if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Mesach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the flame, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Let's stop right there for a second. Thank you, Bill. Sorry for the microphone issues. I think we're probably ready to toss out about six AA rechargeable batteries and get some new ones because we keep putting in charged ones and they keep running down in a few seconds. So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand accused. What's their response? Oh no, we didn't mean to. Oh no, king, we're sorry. We'll follow your edict. We'll bow down. No, that's not what he, they said. What, what they said was, Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. You talk about punching the lion in the nose. Boy, that was another example of disrespecting his imperial power. And if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Where does that fall in those four things that Daniel is trying to preach to the Jews? They're dedicated to God, yes. They totally rely on God. They, they, they don't say, I'm strong enough to do this. They totally give their reliance over to God in this example. Um, lots of courage. They did not compromise. Yes, Rich, they, they had courage and and in effect, by not bowing down like everybody else was doing, they were also separating themselves from this. So all of these things are kind of woven in. It's not like, oh, that's this only. But it's, it's actually all woven, all those five uh, examples of purpose for Daniel's book are all woven together. I need, a, I need another, uh, then before we go on uh, verse 25. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Who's the fourth person? I'm sorry? The reincarnate Christ. Pre -pre I'm sorry pre-incarnate Christ. Who, what else would you think is a possibility? An angel? Yeah. I, I, think, uh, I think at the time of Daniel, they weren't as much looking for the Christ as the, the, the saving angel or, or God himself. And so there's four people in the fire did you notice how they tossed them in the fire? Fully clothed. They got their turban on their head. They got their robes on. They tie them up and they toss them in the fire. And the fire is so hot. How hot is it? Seven. What's the perfect number of the Bible? Seven. So it's seven times hotter than normal. And these big strong guys go to the mouth of the furnace and toss Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and they perish because they're so close to the fire. So that means two things. Number one, the fire is very hot, and number two, it heightens the, the value of the miracle of their saving because they did not perish. Let's, let's go ahead. Who's going to be my next reader? What's that? Oh, okay, so we don't have to tussle with the microphone. So, um, Nebuchadnezzar sees four people, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, perfects, 
governors and royal advisors crowded around them. Can't you just see that image? They're like a bunch of chickens. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was the hair on their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That's pretty detailed, isn't it? And of course you had to get up close to them to sniff them. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. In the last verse, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So that confession from Nebuchadnezzar is actually his second confession. When was the first? And it's been, it's been previous. It's when Daniel interpreted his dream of the four, the four kingdoms. And uh, that would be chapter 2, verse 47. Surely the God of... Your God is the God of gods. Your Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries. So that's the first confession. I believe there's four uh, times that Nebuchadnezzar has that moment where he comes to and confesses that the God of the Jews is the real God, is the supreme God. Does he backslide back into making a nine foot by 90 foot uh, statue? He sure does. He can't help it because everybody's telling him how great he is. He lives in an echo chamber because you didn't tell the king he was wrong and, and see the next day. So it was very difficult in that regard. Let's go now to study questions. What about the jealousy of the, of the unbelievers? Who were, the, who were the ones that brought the charges against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, they were competitive. They wanted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's position. It says in the Bible that they were astrologers, which I didn't really realize, but they were one of the groups of people advising um, the king, and he was following their advice. Right. 
catch-22. It was the perfect, uh, if it was a perfect way to get these Jewish provincial leaders out of power. Very much so. This was an, op it was an opportune moment, moment. And if you think about several other occasions, what about the book of Esther? Where the advisor to the king gets his signet ring and, and writes a, an edict that goes out to all of the land and that says, on this day you get to attack the Jews, kill the Jews, and take their property. Haman, that was an opportune moment. And do you remember what Mordecai said to Esther? Someone look back in Esther. For such, yes. Say again. For such a time as this, you were sent. And also, Mordecai also tells Esther, if you don't do something, someone else will step forward. So it was, there was, it was very firm. Um, so they accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of paying no attention to your commands and, or serving your God. And what is their response? What is, you can read it just out loud. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But if he doesn't, we still won't worship your gods. So there's, a, there's an if and a but in that, in that statement. So what is, what is the response? What do you think the uh, astrologers felt when this didn't work? They were probably chagrined. That's a good word, right? They were going, darn, that didn't work. We were counting on getting rid of these guys, and now they're more powerful than they were before. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Nebuchadnezzar is impulsive. He has a, he's hot-tempered. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He, he promoted them, but he also said something else. Yes, and, but not, yes, but not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you say anything against their God. So this is a second level up from Nebuchadnezzar recognizing God. Now he's uh, saying no one else can attack or... Say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes. So now they're in a, they've gone from tenuous coexistence to being elevated to a protected space. So this is a step up in, uh, in uh, the society of Babylon. Yes, Nancy? Well, that was in uh, verse 16. 
Yes, verse 16. Right. Right. But that didn't keep that didn't save them. I'm going to say this just for the recording purposes. Nebuchadnezzar knew about the practices of the Jews and their faithfulness. And he knew about the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he knew that they worshiped their God. But he got himself in a box where his pride controlled the situation. Remember when... Um, Salome danced for Herod. And he said, anything you want, young lady, even to half of your kingdom, I will give you if you just ask it. So he ran to his mother, and her mother, and she said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter right now. So Herod put himself in that box. Nebuchadnezzar was in the same box. Because the, the proclamation was made, if you don't worship, if you don't bow down, then guess what? Uh, you will be thrown in the fiery furnace. So he doesn't want to appear weak. He's prideful. He's, he's made this proclamation. He's trapped in his own words. Thank you, Nancy. He's trapped in his own words. And... So, the verse for meditation talks about the if, but if, not, but if not, the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Nebuchadnezzar. And we've already touched on that a little bit. They relied totally on God. They didn't guarantee results. I thought that was interesting. They didn't just say, he will save us, but if he does not, we're still not going to worship your God. So, they totally relied on God. They were dedicated to Him. It doesn't talk about prayer here like it does when Daniel uh, was deciphering Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel prayed all night for the wisdom to understand the dream. Prayer is not mentioned in this particular episode, but tons of courage. They did not compromise. They did not say, well, we'll do it this time, or how many times are we confronted with our society and, and we uh, um, compromise? Lots of times. I do it every day. And there's a, there's a saying, uh, you'll understand that a lot of my knowledge is, is in two lines or less. And... There's an old saying, if you don't stand for something, then you will fall for anything. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood for something. 
this seemed kind of innocuous. Yeah, well, we'll cross our fingers and bow down to this God. No, he, they didn't say that. They, they didn't compromise. They stood for something. And so that's exciting. Under questions for thought, what were the circumstances that led to the testing of Daniel's friends? How are these circumstances relate to our times of testing? Our times of testing. How are we being tested right now? This is where we kind of put it in 21st century context. Oh, come on. Yep. Yep. I don't know if we can give Madeline Murray O'Hare full credit for that, but we sure watched as it happened. I was reading recently that military chaplains are not allowed to say the name Jesus yep. in any of their services. Right. Yep. Yeah, we're, uh, this, is, this is not new. This is not something that happened yesterday. Yes, David? Oh, yes. Wanna, well, yeah. face the dilemma of uh, going to church or some church event or having their kids in a, an activity that yes. is going to conflict with church, and yes. there are choices to be made there. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I, our son was a swimmer for a minute and a half, and I remember that swim meets were on Sundays. And I was going, you've got to be kidding. And he's got to be in the water in Austin, Texas at 7.30 in the morning. I was going, no, 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 no. We did that once. But that was just, first of all, the blessing was he didn't love swimming that much. So, <laughs> because there were no people involved. <laughs> he was out there by himself with his thoughts and he'd rather be talking to people. He threw away his first phone. And I said, Robert, why'd you throw away your first phone? He said, Dad, it doesn't hold enough contacts. True story. It was one of those old flip phone uh, vintage ones, and it might have had a hundred or so, and that wasn't keeping up with the way he rolled. So I always I thought that was interesting too. So society is saying, hey, bring your kids to soccer practice and sit in the car and sit in your uh, lawn chairs and cheer for them and watch them play on Sunday instead of going to worship. There's no compromise for, oh, we, it'll be after church. No, 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 that's not the way it works. Those kinds of activities don't start at noon or one. They start at eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And you get pulled into it because your children want to participate like their friends. And so what do you do? Yes, Emily. I was listening to a discussion last night on a TV show, and it was talking about all of the um, hearings they've been having before Congress about social media and how 
they now have definitive evidence that social media has affected, um, you know, depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, suicide in especially mm -hmm. girls, but also mm -hmm. boys. And it's not just a phenomenon here in America. It's all over the country. I mean, they have all factored the out. I mean, all over the world. They factored out all these other things, politics, uh, the pandemic, you know, all that kind of thing. But in some of the comments that came afterwards, you know, there were those who were saying, you just need to keep your kids off of social media. But the other side of that is when all of their friends are on social media and you say they can't be on social media, then all of a sudden they're isolated right. and, and they don't have friends. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a very complex and difficult thing to navigate with your children. Not easy being a parent, is no. it? And it doesn't come with a manual. No. <laughs> so we're being asked to or expected to compromise every day in, in our society. Number two, I found this one a little harder to answer. What does the passage teach about civil disobedience? When do you think civil disobedience is justified? I had trouble, more trouble with that question. Has anybody got, uh, can anybody help me? When the civil is wrong. Yes, um, that is one way to put it. Um, yes, yes. Uh, Rosa Parks in Montgomery, Alabama, when she was refusing to give up her seat on the bus. I finally, I wrote something, and see if this, this helps. Um, when it is nonviolent and is focused on simple human unfairness. That's what I wrote. Is that perfect? No. But I'm, I don't get out in March and practice civil disobedience. But I thought that when it was nonviolent and when it was focused on simple human unfairness, like Rosa Parks, good example, Harold, that, that sounds like something I could get behind. So, for better or for worse, I'm a rabble rouser. Yes, David. Yes. Yes, you have to take the consequences of your civil disobedience, and with MLK, it involved uh, time in jail. I don't, I don't know that we really remember a lot about Martin Luther King being in jail, but he was. Yes, Ron. States, it was illegal to keep slaves to Before the war between the states, it was illegal to teach slaves to read. But a professor at the Virginia Military Institute, who was a member of Lexington Presbyterian Church, started a Sunday school class for slave children and taught them to read publicly. That was Stonewall Jackson. As a Presbyterian, yeah, those Presbyterians are rabble-rousers. Um, 
So, yes, Kathy, you're a long way away from the microphone. Okay. Hello. We visited the National World War II Museum this week, something I won at the Salvation Army auction last year. But I went back and recorded this that I just, if I can not make it, if I can make this work here, just a minute. Let me see if I can. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I'll just tell you. This was the part about um, at the end of the Nazis and the basic, they said that Hitler preferred to put children and grandfathers in front of himself to, to um, be shot and killed for his protection. He preferred to kill six million Jews, homosexuals, people against the government, in the country he loved, or he said he loved. And it just hit me, all of the support for Hamas that's been doing the same thing. And I've never been politically active, but I thought, I sure am gonna pray harder and I get those texts, give, give me $50, give me $15. And today there were two who specifically spoke about their faith, their Lord. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give a little bit here. Because if we don't try to elect believing Christians motivated to serve God, what else? I mean, that's the least we could do is support people who share our faith, that's all. What is the famous quote about um, good people being silent? Yes, when, when we do nothing, we remain silent and what we don't condemn, we condone. What we don't condemn, we condone and did Daniel's friends know they would be saved? No. God is able, so they displayed trust. If he does not, we still will not serve your gods. And we talked about the fourth man, the fourth person in the furnace. And it's the pre-incarnate Christ, or it's the angel or it's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. Because what does Nebuchadnezzar describe the fourth person as? In, in uh, verse 25, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. It's a low, it's a small G, it's not a big G, it's not the God, it's not the God of the of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Nebuchadnezzar is is 
seeing something different from what he expected. Um, let, let's go back and, and talk about separation from impurity. Uh, what was the first example in Daniel where there was a separation from what the Babylonians wanted? They didn't eat the king's food. So that was a separation from impurity. And the second one in the story today, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not do? They didn't bow down to this 90-foot tall golden image. So that's where your, your uh, separation from impurity is. How did Daniel display courage when he answered the deciphered the king's um, dream, the first one, his first example. How did he have courage? Yes, the message was that, but remember what all of the wise men said, said king. You're not going to tell us the dream and you expect us to know the dream and explain it? So there was a risk involved there. And so they were all, all of the wise men of Babylon were going to be killed, including Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. So there was courage there, not so much against compromise uh, as courage to pray. Daniel prayed like no other. He dedicated himself to God. He gave God all of the credit for figuring out the dream, and he relied on God. And then he was, he was elevated there as an advisor to the king. And he told the king the truth. He told the king the truth to power. Yes, never easy. Speaking truth to power. So today... We've got the separation, we're not going to worship. We have the courage not to compromise. We have effectiveness of prayer, although not specifically mentioned, dedication and reliance on God. All of those are the, what this particular writer said, were the five purposes of writing the book of Daniel. So the last question is, what's the bottom line in the book of Daniel? What is the bottom line? Because Daniel is writing to encourage and strengthen the Jewish population against compromise, against uh, the impurity of the country that they're in. He's writing all of these things as a purpose, but the bottom line is, in my opinion, is that God wins. God wins. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't compromise. Don't... Uh, make a peace with a society. Keep praying. Dedicate yourself to God 
and rely, rely on God because people, God wins. And that's why he wrote the book in my simple interpretation. Uh, I knew it was going to be short. <laughs> I've got 10 minutes. Okay, Ron, you're up. Oh, we got a question in the back. Yes, Rick. Right. God, God wins. God saves. It's it's another good good word. What's that? Yes. Yes. And um, yes, Nancy. Yes. Yes. Guaranteed we won't be saved from the perils of life. But God wins. Every time. Um, I, we had, um, we've been going through stages with our house. And the first stage was uh, foundation and plumbing. And the plumbing company that um, was recommended to us um, he was an old cranky guy from St. Hedwick and I knew he was cranky because he couldn't keep a helper and he showed up with a helper he said yeah my other helper retired or whatever and this helper was really good the first day and they didn't have a crossword between them and he said yeah he's a great helper but I don't get to keep him I have to give him back to his lead guy who is off today the second day they came to the plumber, he and his helper had words before nine. He said, I beg your pardon? And the kid was not doing his job, and he wasn't having it. And he gave me a cap. And, uh, and the reason why I wanted one of his caps is because on the side is a cross, this plumbing company in San Antonio, Texas, and the words, God wins. And I thought, yep, I want to wear that. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, go ahead, Ron. Did I, did I step on your thunder? No, no, I was just going to. Oh, I'm sorry, David. Well, Ron's got the microphone, so let's let him talk, and then we'll, and I'm going to scoot you up closer. Go ahead, Ron. I was listening to an interview uh, yesterday with a guy who's bemoaning the state of our country, and he said uh, the problem is we don't have any uh, uh, congressional representatives and senators who are willing to be one-termers. Right. He said, in fact, I would encourage everybody to ask the person you're thinking about voting for, are you willing to be a one-termer? meaning stick to your guns even if it costs you the election. Um, there are very few, if any. So most politicians compromise 
And once you make that first compromise, now it's easy for me to say that, but it's true in the pastorate or any profession. Right. Um, every church I've served, there's been a group in the church that, Ron, would you get off that expositing scripture thing? And just, We want to be made to feel good and be, be more entertaining, upbeat. Why can't you get along? And that's, you know, it, yeah, and you'd be liked by a whole lot more people. Well, I wish I could say, sit here and say, and I just bounced off me like nothing, but I sat there and wrestled with that. I never gave in, but and uh, it was costly. My first year in Dallas, one-third of the worshiping congregation left. One-third. I was preaching to a lot of wood, and people were telling me every Sunday, see what you're doing. But I, And I wrestled with that, and I stood my guns, and they filled in those pews. And, but I didn't know that was going to happen, and I thought maybe I'm going to get kicked out of here. Um, and I'm not a brave. People say, you're so brave. I'm a coward. I'm just more afraid of God than any of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's well said. Thank you. Thank you. Now for David. I would just add a footnote. Uh, I'd add a footnote to those top two uh, three-word uh, adages, I guess. And I say this as somebody who was in politics for uh, 23 years. Uh, not every issue is an issue of conscience, it seems to me. And so sometimes you've got to compromise. I think of committee meetings. You know, if you've got a bunch of people on a committee and none of them will compromise, you might not get anything done. Sometimes, you know, half a loaf is better than uh, no loaf at all. I'm just sometimes, not every issue is a matter of no compromise. It's a matter of conscience. And then uh, impurity. There's a lot of impurity in society, but we need to roll up our sleeves and sometimes get our hands dirty working in a, a, a dirty situation. And so I, I just, you know, you don't want to let the impurity taint you, but sometimes you got to work with it, it seems to me. Okay. I think God wants us to do that. Well, frankly. and I think that's a, a good distinction. The, the, the question, is this, a, is this a question and a compromise of conscience? Yeah, that's the point I'm making. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, Chris, back row, coming to see you. Oh, actually, Ellen is. She runs faster. I think that last comment was a really important one. And I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who when he joined the opposition to Hitler and was part of the plot to kill him, he knew he was doing something immoral. And he knew that the consequences might be death. But under the circumstances, he felt he had no choice, which alerts us that you know politics is a dirty game. And those who are in it to do any good at all, unfortunately, have to compromise because there's no free lunch in this world. <laughs> That's, it's the hardest thing, and I think sometimes, I watch my own party, sometimes people aren't willing to compromise some value, and as a result, nothing happens, mm -hmm. yep. we're, <laughs> which, is, which can be worse. We, it's conf <laughs> we're confronted with that sometimes. Yes, C. John, in the back. I want to uh, piggyback on the comments that... Uh, Ron and 
Kathy made about Kathy mentioned World War Two, and uh, the, this is uh, this year is a very important year for us, our generation, because you benefit. We benefit a lot from the greatest generation. This is the 80th anniversary of D-Day on June 6, and also the 80th anniversary of the time when George Bush was shot down over the Pacific on September 2nd. Mm. Incidentally, I, I was watching Band of Brothers, a World War II series, and I'm currently watching The Pacific, which is sort of a, a sequel to Band of Brothers, and uh, I found quite amazing that again and again that those people in the greatest generation sacrificed so much uh, right. And there are not many of them left. Right. Uh, in November, I spoke to a group of people who served in the wars. Only two World War II veterans wow. were there in Lano, Texas. So if you have any relatives who served on World War II, I want to thank all of you very much for the service. Not just that, but also the Vietnam War, the Korean War, and so on and so forth. What Ron said about standing up your guns uh, reminds me of George Bush himself. You know, when he lost the election in 1992, because he said in one of the campaigns that read my lips, no more taxes or no new taxes, and then he decided to go along to raise tax so because mm -hmm. he put the country's benefit before his own future. So he lost the election. Not less uh, thanks to Ross Perot, who ran in that the campaign also in 1992. But the stand up to what you believe, that's very important. Right. Stand up to your convictions. Right. And I thank Ron and Kathy for bringing that up. Awesome. Thank you very much. Let's, let's, have, our, let's have our closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us always to remember that through faithfulness, through trust, through strength, not to compromise, that you, Father, you win. You are God, you are creator, redeemer, Lord, and savior. From the beginning, before anything when you made the world and made this earth. We raise our hands to you in praise. We thank you for our class and all of the blessings that you shower on us every day. And may all times and all places, may your son's name be praised. Amen.